each time I preach, I know that I'm missing some of you. Not missing you because you're not here, but missing you because of the topic that I chose. For example, if I preach on divorce, I know that some of you have never been divorced. Never been divorced, never had a... Well, I've heard them say, you never had an argument. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't believe you. But regardless of that, I, I realize there's some people like that. If I preach on marriage, there's some of you that are single, and some of you are even happily single as far as that goes. I talk about finances. I know that some of you have got all your finances together, and you don't need any of the things that I'm going to say to you. But today, today I'm going to give you a message that I can put every last one of you in. Every last one of us can find ourselves in the story of the prodigal son. I debated on whether to reading this to you, but I thought it might be a good idea and see where you find yourself in this story. It says, and it's not going to be on the screens here, but it says in, in Luke chapter uh, 15, 11, it says, and he, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate while living. Now why, while, or when rather, uh, he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to do without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. And he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating. And no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of the high, your hired laborers. And so he set out and he came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Every one of you can find yourself in that story. Some of you have never left the Father since the moment you gave your life to Christ. You're in that place where you never have this experience of having all of these things happen to you. You're in that place. Some of you are at this moment kind of complacent about what's going on and thinking, you know what, I think it might be just as good for me to not have to come to church anymore and not to be with the Father anymore. I think I can make it without Him right now. Some of you have walked away. I'm not talking to you because if you walked away, you're not here. Some of you have gone through something that is terrible. You're so miserable. But the truth is you won't come to your senses yet. That's the crazy thing. Some of you have just come to your senses. And you're saying, what can I do about this? And he's saying, come home. Some of you are on your way back. You're on your way back to the Lord. And you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm on my way back. When I get there, I'm going to confess. I'm going to, I'm, I, you're, you're ready to come back. And some of you have come back and he said, let's put the robe on you. Let's put the ring on you. Let's put the sandals on you. Let's have a party. Some of you are at the party. 
But all of you somewhere. All of you are somewhere. And so, I would say to you, find yourself in this story. Find yourself in this story and be very honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. See, most Christians go through a time in their lives when they are complacent with their walk with the Lord. Most Christians do. That doesn't mean you have to. That means you did. It just means that most Christians will do so. What you've done, you're complacent. You're complacent. You're asleep. You're literally asleep in your faith. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says, And this do knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Paul is writing to believers who have fallen asleep. One time they were exuberant about their faith. But now they've gotten a little complacent. They've walked away from the Lord. Maybe they didn't notice it, but they did. Since this letter is going to be read to the churches, it means that they're still in church. They're still there, but they're asleep. Otherwise, it makes no sense. You can't chew people out for uh, that aren't, you know what I'm saying? You can't chew people out for low attendance because they're the people that are there. You understand? When you talk to these people, you have to talk to the ones that are there. But there are those in the church then that have fallen asleep. Now, I'm not talking about those that actually fall asleep. I used to have a guy that was in one of the churches. He sang in the choir and he would work all night, but he would make it to church. He would sing in the choir, but we left the church. We left the choir in the choir loft there. And I could see the people in the, in the seats and the pews. They were betting on whether he was going to fall out of his seat because he always fell asleep. I can tell you something about that guy. He may have been asleep in church, but he was not asleep in his faith. He was still awake in his faith. And there's a difference between somebody who just happens to fall asleep in church and one who is really asleep in their faith. And so I would say to those that are really asleep in their faith, they're coming to church, but they are getting absolutely nothing out of it. They, and they'll blame other people for their lethargy. Well, he didn't do something for me today or whatever it might be. That is what they'll say. I didn't like the music. I didn't like, and it's all about, always about somebody else and it cannot be about them. And so they come and they haven't heard a thing from the Lord. But let me tell you about people, people who walk with the Lord. People who walk with the Lord get something out of worship. That is what they do. They get something out of worship. I have, I've had some pretty bad sermons and I recognize that. And I've had somebody come forward and they'll say to me, they'll say, you know, it says, when you said such and such, the Lord really spoke to me. You know what the truth is? I didn't say it. I know I didn't say it. And since it came from the Lord and I didn't say it, who do you think said it? It was the Lord speaking to them. And why was that? They were seeking the Lord in the first place. And he met them where they were. And it didn't matter that I preached a bad sermon. It mattered that they got something out of it. See, the Lord fixed my sermon for them, at least. But people who are asleep are in danger of being attacked by the devil. You see, when you're asleep, you don't, you're complacent, you're not, you're not aware of what's going on. You have a danger of being attacked by the devil. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of, a, of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's after you. And going to sleep is not going to get you any safety. 
For the lion seeks to get that one that is separated from the herd, that one that is tired, that one that is sick, that one that is vulnerable. And so what happens is a crisis comes into your life and the, and the devil himself will allow a crisis or even cause a crisis to come into your life because what does he want to steal? He wants to steal your joy. He wants to take that joy away from you. And many people, many people at that point, just like this young man in this story of the prodigal son, he saw that, he came to his senses, he was there, a severe famine in the land, and he said, man, I am not even eating as good as my father's laborers. I can go back and I could eat if I would just turn around and go back. He came to his senses. But a lot of people are so satisfied with being dissatisfied. They just stay and, and they stay and wallow, wallow in their, their misery. But it, when it comes to the Christian, the one that's going to walk with God, the Christian seeks God. You see, God wants you to walk with him. The first cry of many Christians, though, is, God, why don't you come over here and walk with me? It doesn't work that way. God requires repentance. This is the story of the prodigal son. Remember this. He was walking away from his father. He had to turn around and go the other direction. That's repentance. He didn't expect his father to come and join him in the pig pen. Don't go and say, God, come join me in the pig pen. Not going to happen. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. See the, do you see the repentance in this? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You must draw near to God first. Don't expect him to draw near to you if you don't draw near to him first. Your first step is to admit your lethargy. Admit that you have not been listening to him and you certainly haven't been obeying him, that you've been quenching his spirit. You may, you may not even remember what you didn't do for him because you've so, you've so snuffed down what God has told you that you don't remember what it is. I mean, I know what that's like when I've been married for a while. Wife is talking to me about something. And you know what she says? I know none of you other guys have this ever happen. She says, what did I just say to you? And I wasn't listening. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm not listening. And I mean, I come up with something. I said, oh, about what you always talk about. You know, <laughs> you know. You see, I'm telling you what, God wants us listening. He wants us listening he wants us paying attention to you. You understand why I give you notes? I don't give you notes because I think the, this is the best sermon you're ever going to hear. I give you notes because I want you to have something that will help you listen. Maybe the Lord is going to speak to you and say something to you in that uh, while we're going along. And I can tell you, it is so easy to just to get off that, that path. You know, get off that path. And if I'm not paying attention to what God is saying then I have a very easy way of getting off the path and getting away from him. I think that a lot of people think that God's just waiting for me and he's just glad for me to come to church. Let me tell you something, folks. God is not in a nursing home. He's not just waiting for you to show up. That is not who God is. And if you think that God is in the nursing home, and then, you, then you're never going to have that opportunity to walk with him. 
You come and join him in what he wants you to do. So that you repent, you confess, and you walk with God. This is the way that it really, really works for us, all of us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives and he restores that relationship. That unrighteousness is cleared away so that we can walk very closely to him. Then what happens? Then what happens? The Christian obeys the Lord. In fact, is is that obedience must follow repentance or there is no repentance. If you did not follow in obedience, if you don't do what the Lord tells you to, and I will tell you this up front, God will test your obedience. You want to find out? I'm I'm saying, God, I'm going to repent today. I'm going to do the right thing. The next thing's going to happen. God's going to test your obedience. Think about Isaiah. Remember that story of Isaiah? I referred to it last week. Isaiah, you know, he's in the throne room of God. He realizes he's undone. And so he says, you know, I'm, I'm an undone guy. I'm a, I'm a man of, of uh, unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And the, and the angel comes down and takes a, a coal from the altar and touches it to his lips. And he is cleansed, representing of that repentance that is there. What's the next thing that happens? God says, who will go for me? Who will go for me? And what does Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. Send me, Lord. Walking with God can only be done in obedience. That's the only way that it's going to happen. See, I've seen a lot of people do things that people notice that haven't been, they haven't been walking with God. Just to give you an example. I've seen people give a huge chunk of money to the church. Maybe they'll even name the, a room in the church after the guy, you know. But you know what they did? It They didn't do it out of obedience. You know what they did it out of? Come look at me. Come look at me. I've even seen people teach amazing Sunday school classes. They have just, they're just a charismatic individual. They have a charm about them and they can teach a class and a class can be full. And it's not being obedient. I've seen preachers. Preachers that can grow huge churches and they're not walking with God whatsoever. And when you get with them privately, you find out that they don't have a walk with the Lord. They're doing it all out of who they are and they are self-serving rather than God-serving. But what happens to us is that when we are obedient, when we are obedient, you can tell when a person is obedient because they are abiding in God's love. You can get around them and they have a certain aroma about them. John fifteen ten says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's a bulletin, folks. Abiding in God's love is a four-word definition for walking with Him. That's what it takes to walk with Him, to abide in His love. Not about the great things that you do. You do obedient things, but you walk into His love. And so where do you get these instructions? Where do you get these instructions of what to do? Well, the Holy Spirit prompts you in what you should do. The Holy Spirit is there to prompt you into it, to bring you along in this. It says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit 
comes and takes over all your decisions. I do believe that we have to be obedient in each case. But the Lord speaks to us. And if we're not careful and we're not listening, we'll quench the Spirit. In fact, Paul would warn the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. This is the thing that gets more Christians off the path than anything else. The Spirit speaks to them and they say, not now. I'm not going to do it right now. And delay or refusal is quenching the Spirit. That's what it is. It is quenching the Spirit. And they have now gotten off the path. And they're now walking away from God and not with God. And so that their, their walk stops right at the moment. Right at the moment when they quench the Spirit. Now many of you have had a military experience. And if your commanding officer gives a command, what are your options? Some of you are going to say not, none at all. That's, that's not really true. Obedience is always an option. Disobedience is always an option. It may not pay off because you obey and you continue in your commanding officer's presence and his good graces. Or you disobey and I guarantee you're going to leave his presence or her presence, whatever it might be. So you will not walk in your commander's love anymore. I can tell you that. I can assume that. And so it is with the disobedience with the Holy Spirit. You will be, you'll be separate from God's abiding love. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He still loves you just as much, understand. But there's a difference between God loving you and abiding in his love. And it's not hard to understand if you've been a parent. There's been some times when your kids did some things that you were not pleased with. And while you love those kids like you still always love those kids, they were not abiding in your love. They were not seeing that all about them. You see, what I'm trying to tell you folks is, is that walking with the Lord has benefits. There are benefits for this. The Christian has fellowship with the Lord. He has fellowship with the Lord. See, James 2.23 says, and it says the scripture was fulfilled when it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called, what? The friend of God. Friend of God. See, belief in this instance is more than saying that something is true. Belief is a change in the actions because you know it to be true. Yesterday morning, I had to get up, and I was coming up here to the, uh, to the uh, fall festival. And I had a flat on my front tire on my bicycle. Now, that's the most dangerous flat you can have. And I'll tell you why. Because when you go to turn, you don't have, have, if your front tire is going flat, it will roll on you. And then the front tire doesn't turn when you're going to turn, and you will spill. You'll get, you'll get, you can actually get hurt this way. And so what I did was, is that I, I knew that it had been flat. I tried to air it up and it didn't hold. So I took the tire off. I put a, put a new tube in there. I went to put a new tube in there. But the first thing you've got to do before you can fix a flat, you've got to stick your hand inside that tire to find whatever it is in that tire that caused that puncture. And sometimes you've got to be really, really careful because sometimes it's, it's, um, it's needles that people have thrown out. So you've got to be really careful. You can really get something bad that way. So you're really, really careful. And you go around. I couldn't find anything in that tire. I looked and I looked. 
I put that tube in there and I said, okay, I aired it up. I got on the bicycle and you know what the proof was that I believed? I wrote it up here because it's a lot, it's a long ways to walk if you don't, if you get a flat, that's what I'm trying to say. So what happens to you is, is that you obey because you believe that what's going to happen is the Lord has told you to do it. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me to, to worship every Sunday. Holy Spirit doesn't tell me to pray. The Holy Spirit may prompt me in those kinds of things to walk with the Lord. But what happens is I have a relationship which he is my friend and I do it without having to be told every last week. You get to that spot. The word for fellowship in the New Testament is the word koinonia. You've heard it a lot. But when I was translating that uh, 2 Corinthians 9.13 a couple of years ago, and I realized that the, the translators all translated that word koinonia as contribution, not fellowship, but contribution, I realized that what fellowship really is, is giving to others. It's really giving to others. See, fellowship is not merely meeting together and eating fried chicken. I hate to uh, disappoint a lot of Baptists. It's contributing to each other. See, those that are in worship and they worship together, and they really worship, they're contributing. You don't realize it, but they're contributing to what's going on. There's fellowship that goes on. Fellowship between them and the Lord and them and the other people that are there. That's why we call it an offering of worship. It's an offering that goes on there. That's why our devotion to the Lord is worship. Each is a contribution. Each is a fellowship. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. And for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. This is the evidence of somebody who knows the Lord. They boast in the Lord for these things. And when you know somebody, you know somebody this well. When you truly know someone, you know his or her voice. You see, before we had caller ID, how did we, we talk to each other? Hey, it's me. And you know what? You knew who me was. You knew who me was because you talked to that person several times and you had listened to that person and you recognized their voice. And that's what the scripture says you should be able to do with the Lord. Jesus said, John 10, uh, 16, And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. So if you talk to him, and he talks to you, and you have fellowship with him, and you have a walk with him, you'll recognize his voice. You'll know that it's him. You see, when there is no fellowship, there's no speaking. But when there is fellowship, there is speaking. Let me tell you what happens in my own house. Sometimes I do a deep cleaning in my house. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes what I do is, is that I am just vacuum around the furniture. I will move the furniture so I can vacuum under the furniture. But I have one big flaw. And this, this is it. 
after I have moved the furniture and I've vacuumed, already vacuumed the places where the furniture wasn't before, and now I move it into that spot, I tend to leave it there, and my wife cannot stand me moving the furniture. And there's been a couple of times that when she came home, and I'm still doing this upstairs, she says 12 words that I can't tell you how much fear it puts into me. You had better not be doing what I think you are doing. 12 words right there. I can hear those words right there. And why is that? Because I have disobeyed her and I have done exactly what she has told me not to do. And I will tell you what happens. Those are the initial words, but I can tell you there are no words after that because there is no fellowship and there is no joy divine after that. And so harmony results in fellowship. Disharmony results in no fellowship. Fellowship involves a contribution. Fellowship involves communication. Then also a benefit is the Christian experiences confidence. Confidence. There is no fear in coming into the Lord's presence. I think that's the main reason a lot of people don't come to church. They're afraid to come. They're afraid that he's going to beat them up, I guess, afterwards. And what they don't realize, they say, well, I'm going to clean my act up and then I'm going to come to church. Well, let me tell you something, folks. We keep the soap at church. You're not going to clean up at home. We got the soap here. You're going to have to wash up here because they're the people that will gather around you and they're going to help you in your walk. And those people that are going to bring you around that are going to help you in the confidence that you'll have to come before God because you're not, you shouldn't be afraid to come to church. You shouldn't be afraid to come to the Lord because there's going to be other people. Yes, they are sinners just like you, but they're washing up. They're washing up and they're cleaning up, not at home. They're cleaning up right here. So that confidence grows as we walk with the Lord. It gets greater and greater as we come before the Lord. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us not therefore draw uh, near with, let us therefore rather draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. What will happen to you, you'll have such confidence that you won't be praying just in case this works. A lot of people are praying, you know, I'm going to pray just in case it works to pray. With no expectation that God's actually going to do anything. But you see what happens when you have confidence. You have confidence in whom you're speaking to. You know that the one that you're speaking to loves you with an everlasting love. You know the one that you're speaking to knows exactly what is going on in your life. You know that the one that you're speaking to has a solution to the problem that you have. You know that the one that you're speaking to has the power to be able to bring that solution about. And you have that, that confidence, that confidence that I know who I'm going to now. I know how he feels about me. I know who he is. I have confidence in that. And so it is only here that I have peace, especially when I'm going through tough times. You're going through tough times. You're not going to have any peace simply because you want to have peace. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3 says, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace. Because he trusts in you. As we trust in him, we have confidence in him. I trust because, because I know him. 
you trust because you know him and you are in perfect peace because of that. You know, many times we have people that come to our nursery and the children get upset, the little ones. You know what I'm saying? Then they're crying. You're, you know, mom's trying to let them go. They get it there. And some of them just go in there and cry and cry and cry. And sometimes we have to come back and say, we need you to come back. Now, who is that child looking for? Most cases, it's mama. And you know what happens when mama comes back? That child is in perfect peace. That's really the truth. The perfect peace. I'll tell you what, folks. You want to have perfect peace? You need to walk with the Lord. You're going to have to walk with the Lord. So let me ask you that question one more time. Where are you in this story? Where are you in this story? Pray with me.